text messages. Here we go. There's one for you, uh, Lawson. Uh, talking about being a vegan. Oh, yes. Would <laughs> not would not all veg all vegans starve in the land of milk and honey? Um. Hey, let me ask you this question, my friend. <laughs> let me ask you this question, my friend. I'm going to get close to the mic. Did the land of milk and honey, honey literally only have milk and honey in it? Yeah, this is a very valid question. I think, I, think somebody's, I think somebody's having some fun here, giving you a bit of a hard time there, Lawson. But that's pretty cool. That's pretty <laughs> No, that's awesome. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. Ooh, let me see. The Bible here. says there'll be fruit in heaven. That's, that's right. what I'm going to do. Here we think. go. We've got a few more text messages. Next one says this, The biblical cure for, for the mind is forgiveness and praying for those who have hurt you and persecuted you. Amen. It heals the mind, health, and spirit. But it can't be done without Jesus Christ. Yes. And mm. we have, uh, this, is a, this is a theme that we've really been trying to push here on Faith FM Radio, is that is the most healing thing that a person can ever mm. involve themselves in. Mm. And uh, particularly when you can turn around and do something good and extend grace to somebody who has bitterly persecuted you. Mm. Um, all right, so in relationship to China, now this is an interesting thought. What I like to know is what is the Muslim, Muslim world leaders doing about the China problem? Uh, they explode when it suits them, but what about saving their own people? Now that's an interesting thought. You know, what's Saudi Arabia and places like that doing about the Uyghur situation in China? I haven't heard a thing. I haven't heard a single 1040 country doing anything about the persecution of Uyghurs in China. My thought in that I've never, regard... I've never... Yeah, 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 yeah that's before. heavy. Well, firstly, I remember when we were in Ethiopia and it kind of showed us, not that Ethiopia is an Islamic country, but China kind of has its fingers in every pie. Like particularly, you know, um, like de- oh, so much so developing nations. Um, not that Saudi Arabia is a massively developing nation, but then you know you look at all the other countries in their area. But you just look at like Ethiopia, you got all the Chinese yeah, we, we roads. You have the same thing in like Vanuatu, for Papua example. New Guinea. Yeah, there's this massive Chinese investment, Chinese kind of infrastructure everywhere, and, I, and my mind goes to oh, how it's, much? It's money? what is what it is is Chinese colonialism. By investment, yes, we have this. this you got exactly what is it? Anybody we have says that going it's not on in Australia, it is yeah. colonialism. <laughs> it is colonialism. But yeah, essentially, I'm like, oh, so you got a billion maybe. Muslims in the world that get upset when the Prophet Muhammad is, you know, insulted or whatever. And you know, it's I get upset when Jesus is insulted. Yeah, uh, we don't go out and start killing people. But mm. what are they doing about we- what's taking place in? Um, in China. Well, we read the statement before to disconnect, to destroy, to completely stomp out the roots of the people, you know, and that roots are like the, have very heavily because of their religion, mm. you know, and it's not like we, we refer to them as, as Uyghurs because that's, that's their race, but it doesn't, this isn't very much a racial thing. They're not being racist. They're being like they're wanting to stop out the culture, which is very heavily informed by Islam. And I'm like, man, if you're going out of your way to get rid of Islamic culture in your country, 
That's, that's religious persecution. That is straight, plain, straight-out religious persecution. And China is a country that persecutes uh, Christians as well as Muslims. Mm. Um, the reason that they're able to do it in the Uyghur provinces is because Islam in China is fairly restricted uh, by region. Mm. whereas Christianity is widespread. You find the same kind of persecution against Christianity in China mm. as you do against Muslims, but it's kind of spread right across the country rather than uh, in, a, in a particular yeah, region, and so it's a lot less visible. Mm. But this is actually a really interesting point. I, you know, not, It goes on not to say that the world should say nothing about it, but I haven't heard anything on the news about the Muslim re- leaders raising their voices against it either. Have they been bought out by China? Have we been bought out let's by China? Let's try and get a statement. Let's try. Let's, this is called Saudi Arabia. Right. Faith of family. Let's try and get a statement. Let's call the royal family. Yeah, see what they've got to say. Yeah, hundred percent. What are you doing? What are you? Uh, what, <laughs> what are you doing about the Uyghurs? What are you? What are your boycotts against China? You know, have you stopped sending them oil? Oh, dude. Well, like oh, that. Like you know, it just reminds me of like the United States boycotts and sanctions. Literally everything. I was talking to my dad this yeah. morning about like world politics and Russia and America and every. They say something and then it's like oh, sanctions. sanctions. Wow. And when you look at the sanctions that they have, uh, that the US and, 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 you know, other countries have placed on Iran, for instance, mm. and Iran is an oil country, so it should be fabulously wealthy. You go and travel there and it's pretty much like traveling through a developing country. Mm. You know, and this is a, this is an oil rich country. It should be massively developed, but those sanctions have bit incredibly hard for decades there. Mm. Of course, the Iranians don't care about it. Um, <laughs> they just do their own thing anyway. But yeah, it's that's interesting. That's, anyway. good, thought, good thoughts. Good thoughts. One final one. It's not about herd immunity. It's about herd mentality. She'd be right, mate. Yeah, that's an interesting thought as well. <laughs> not even going to. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> anyway. Let's uh, head to our Bible study, and in heading to our Bible study, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story. So some months ago, maybe a year ago, no, when was it? last July, last August, I started researching my family history. Have you ever researched your family history? Nope, but I just assume my mum's side are Irish, my dad's side uh, convicts. That's That's all I need to know. There you go. So I researched my family history, and in my family history, I found an ancestor by the name of Angelina Carlos. Okay. Guess what her ethnicity may have been. Well, Carlos is a very Spanish name. So, like, either Spain or one of the Spanish colonies. It was neither Spain nor any Spanish colony. Where was it? That name did not originate in any of those localities. That is a 100% English name. Carlos. Carlos. C-A-R-L-O-S. Double S. Oh, okay, that changes a little bit. But not much. Yeah. You would expect, even still, you would expect that there would mm. be somewhere back in the distant past, it's come from Spain and somebody's added an extra S. No, 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 because, because a double S is a H in Spanish. Oh, oh. So, and you would never put it at the end of a, at a, of a word. Yeah, but if you had Spanish heritage and you came, you know, immigrated maybe from religious persecution to England, and as you were crossing the border, um, and they accidentally added an extra S because the English were ignorant of that. Mm. You know that that happened a lot with immigration here into Australia or America or places like that. Names were misspelt and they just stayed that way. Uh-huh. 
it could happen that way. You would, you could, you could see it happening that way, well, right? My name is Walters, yes. which is the English version of Walter, which is a German last name. Is the S that makes it English, right? But do you have in your way, 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 way back there anything German, or is it just uh, there, always English? It must be. There must be like once, probably around like the sixteen hundreds. I would say. Okay. There would there be go. there would be some German in immigration going on, um, because yeah, Walter isn't. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yeah, right. essentially, yeah, Walter or how it would be pronounced in German, which is Volta, isn't like that's not a English thing. Right. So I know it's like definitely had to have come from Germany. And they've added the S there at some stage. Yeah. Okay, so I traced this one back and I found the origin of it and it did not originate outside of England. The name Carlos with the double S on the end. What about with a single originated, S? Originated. That family line has no connection outside of the UK. Okay. Because I found the original name. Okay, what is it? The original name was Careless. Okay, so here's how it worked, and this, <laughs> and this is what actually happened. When when Britain decided to have last names, mm-hmm. um, everybody was told to go out and find themselves a last name. And so you had lots of na- last names that were chosen by the region that they came from. You know, Southwell came from the well in the south. Um, you know, Smith was somebody who was a blacksmith. Miller was somebody who worked a mill. You know, we've got all of those kinds of names because everyone went out and chose themselves a last name so that they could be easily identified. And uh, back in the day, the word careless meant easygoing. Oh. And so this was like a super easygoing, so super chill. So the chillaxed people, yeah, yeah. it was just super chillaxed. They were chilled out and they were like, yeah, we're just going to go with careless. It's a great name. You know, we have no, not a care in the world. Mm. Over time that word changed its meaning. Mm-hmm. And careless went from being easygoing, which is positive, you know, chill. Yeah. Uh, because it's a little bit like you might say, ah, I pick a last name for myself. I'm just going to go with chill. I'm a pretty chill person. <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, maybe a thousand years from now that mean, might mean that you're just an ice-cold scumbag. Ooh. And, and you might want to change that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and that's what happened. The word changed and it went from being easygoing to irresponsible. Mm. And so here you had this whole family that was stuck with this name of being irresponsible. (laughs) And it was a major burden to them, you can imagine, what those kids had to put up with when they went to school and they had the last name of Careless. And so back in the 1600s, a special dispensation was given from the king for deeds of bravery on the battlefield Mm -hmm. uh, to the careless family to change their name, and so they changed it from careless to Carlos. There you go. And that's why it has the double double S on the end because it comes from careless, which has double S on the end. And they're like, well, that's an easy change. And so, yeah, Angelina Carlos with no connection to anything Spanish at all. Mm -hmm. You Just a completely British name. Okay, why do I bring this up? Our Bible study today is all about the change of names. We're going to talk about the change of names today and the significance of that. Okay, um, do, you think our, do you think our name actually has any impact on the kind of person that we are? Mm, depends if it's a title, right? Okay. 
like if your name is like Ivan the Terrible. Yes. Well, that's usually given because of who you already are. What about if your parents kind of gave you that, like, let's say your name was Ivan and you were a bit of a rat bag as a kid, you know, terrible, <laughs> terrible twos hit and they just start calling you Ivan the Terrible mm-hmm. and it sticks. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to have an impact on who you are? Maybe. I it's think like it would. reinforcement. Yes, negative mm-hmm. reinforcement. I think it's going to have a major impact on who you are and a, a negative impact. I think that... You know, names can can be like that, and some, I think this is one of the reasons why we avoid some names because they have negative connotations to them. Mm. I think some parents can be a little bit cruel when they skirt around the edges of oh man, this would be a this would be a uh, a bad name to give somebody, but it'd be pretty cool, you know, at the same time. And bad suddenly becomes cool, and they give a kid a name that you know sort of reflects. Badness, mm. because I think, oh, this kid's going to be tough and this kid's going to be cool, whatever. <laughs> and it can have a negative impact impact on the kid because everything in relationship to that name can sort of be a constant reminder. Like, yeah, the first person that had that name was a great rebel. Mm. Kind of reminds me of the song "Boy Named Sue" by Johnny Cash. It does. <laughs> yeah, it does. And like the experience the, of people crazy because way. they they go because they have a different name. That's All intense. Right. All right, let's look at this in Genesis chapter seventeen, verse four and five. Genesis seventeen, verse four and five. Genesis chapter seventeen, verse four and five. The Bible says this. This is my covenant with you. I will make you father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you'll be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. Okay, so here we've got this statement that uh, God does, and he changes Abram's name. Mm. Now, of course... Uh, when you think about, you know, changing Abram's name, this is a part of the covenant because God has come to him. He's like, what was he? Would he say 99 or 100 years old or something or other? We read yeah. yesterday. He's, he's really up there. He's pretty ancient. And God comes to him with his promise, you know, I am El Shaddai. I'm all powerful. Mm. And you're going to be the father of many nations. And because of that, I'm going to change your name. Now, we live in a culture where names, we, we, we choose names in our culture because of how they sound. Yeah. We like the sound of that name. Or sometimes, you know, we might have a friend or a relative that has that name. It's like, yeah, we're going to name them after, you know, so-and-so. Mm. Like one of my kids got named after, you know, um, one of my grandparents, one of Shell's grandparents. Mm. And the other kid got just names that we kind of liked. <laughs> Had a bit of connection to where Shell came from. Uh, but that's the kind of that back in the day, names were chosen, and Bible names typically are a phrase mm. or a sentence. There's a sentence within the name that actually proclaims something um, about, well, about God, and I guess the parents wish for you know that particular child. So if you look at Daniel, God is my judge. If you look at Joel, it means Yahweh is God. Mm. If you look at Nathan, Nathan means gift of God. And, you know, you can go on down through the list. Emmanuel is God with us. Michael, one who is like God. 
um, and these are names that we commonly use today, which are just really great names. And so this is how and why parents would choose their names. And so when God changes Abram's name to Abraham, that would have had a lot more significance to him than what it would have to you and I. Mm. If it was you and I, it's like, oh, okay, now I have to write more letters when I write my name down. That's about the only relevance it would have. But for Abraham, changing his name was actually a promise. Mm. Let's look at a couple of other uh, verses, Genesis 32, verse 28. Let's head over there real quick and see what this has to say. Genesis Genesis 32 and verse 8, as I flick over there, the Bible says, he thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Okay. Mm. Was that the verse I was after? 32 and verse 8? 28. 28. Oh, here we go. Okay. The, uh, 32, verse 28, the Bible says, Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with man and have won. Okay, so Abraham was not the only person in the Bible who got his name changed. Mm. By the way, Abraham means the father of many nations. What does Abram mean? Is it just father? High father. Yeah. Yeah, so like the chieftain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, it goes from just being the chieftain to being the father of many nations, which mm. is very significant. All right. Um, then we have Jacob. What does the word Jacob mean? Oh, I have no idea. Is that my, my my oldest son has Jacob for his second name, and we chose that just because we like the sound of it. No other reason whatsoever at all. Yeah. Uh, is there a meaning to it? it is, there is a meaning to it. Yeah. What is it? Do you know? Deceiver. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's tough. So that's well. That's who Jacob was, pretty much. You know, we just read about Esau before. But then his name gets changed to Israel, which is like, because you contended with God. And I looked it up, I'm like, is that literally what it means? Yeah, Israel literally means God contended or yes. wrestles with God. Yes. Dude. So so Jacob kind of had two names that both were, I guess, involved a certain level of conflict. Yes, the contentious. And he was a conflicted person. Read his, mm. read his life story. He was definitely a conflicted you're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And of course, Israel means God contends. Um, and so Jacob had his name changed from deceiver to contender. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who who God contended with, I guess, mm-hmm. um, as a result of his wrestling with the angel. A reminder of, you know, his total surrender that he made to God on that day a continual reminder of his total surrender that he made when he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. A reminder that the nation which then becomes known as the nation of Israel is a nation that was to cling to God regardless of the circumstances that they were in. They were to cling to God. Mm. Okay, so you're just looking up some some uh, names there, and we did notice that um, Carlos <laughs> was a version of Charles. Yes, but when you add that extra S, yeah, it, it comes it, from then it becomes Carlos. Yeah, being chill. Dude, I just looked up my name. 
I was like, because I've always said, oh, Lawson, son of the law. It's actually son of Lawrence, which is so much lamer, and I'm never going to tell anyone. No. Except on radio right now. Yes, you just but told everyone. Listen, everyone, keep my secret. My name actually means... Son of the law. Son of the law. Yep, there we go. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm running with that. So much better. Okay, so uh, let me see here. We had Genesis 32, verse 28. Let's look at another one of these verses. Genesis 41, 45. Ooh, here we go. Genesis chapter 41, verse 45. The Bible says... I'm skipping a page here. Come on. Open up for me, Bible. Um, 41, verse 45 of the Bible says, Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, uh, Zaphineth Paneah. Yes. Zaphineth Zaphnath Panea. Panea. Yes. Zaphnath Panea. That's hectic. What does that name mean? Okay, so just bear with me one moment Mm -hmm. while we throw that in here. And it means uh, the God speaks and he lives. Oh, of course, this is so applicable to Jacob. That's almost like his uh, Joseph. Uh, Joseph. Joseph. That's pretty much his job title for the king. Indeed every is. time the king, the, the pharaohs dealt with him, it's like, oh yeah, God spoke to me and told me to, like, like get rid of the the dude, or oh, God told me to store all the grain for a drought. Right. God That's told right. me the drought's ending, and because and because he stored all the grain for the drought, then what was the result of that? He lived. Mm. God speaks and he lives. Whew. There you go. Good stuff. Zaphnath, Zaphnath Panea. A uh, bit of a handful. Bit, bit of a handle there, but uh, a very significant name nonetheless. So, yeah, Joseph was somebody else who had his name changed um, as a result of, yeah, what he, um, what he was involved in. Okay, so um, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 7. We talked about this one briefly yesterday, mm. but let's head over there very quickly. Yeah. Daniel 1 and verse 7. Oh, man, these, I, I need to get on the electronic game. Yeah, These you probably big do. These pages are just, just a struggle. Okay, 1 and verse 7, the Bible says this, Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, the chief of staff renamed renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Meshach was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Okay, so you've got a whole bunch of people who were renamed here. And, mm-hmm. of course, um, this was a part, we mentioned yesterday, a part of changing their culture, changing, assimilating them into Babylonian society. So it's a little bit like, you know, when you have people who, you know, move to Australia from a different country and they bring their culture with them, they bring their names with them, they bring, you know, everything about them. And you sort of you have that first generation um, of people who come from a different country and they've got, you know, all of their original stuff with them. They speak with an accent their entire lives. Then you have the second generation and they may have a name from their country or they may have an Australian name, Mm. but they're Australian born and you'll find that, you know, they speak one language at school and another language at home. And so they're kind of bilingual. Then you come down to the third generation and they're just Aussie. Yeah. Yeah. They're just they're just completely Aussified, mm. and what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do was to speed that process up. He's like, I've taken the um, the Jews captive. Uh, we're going to assimilate them into Babylonian and Chaldean culture. They're never going to go back because they have proven to be a troublesome nation. We don't want to have those people living in that region anymore because it makes it hard to uh, have to fight through that region to get to Egypt. 
And so we're going to just yeah deport the whole lot and assimilate them. And part of that assimilation process was that he gives them new names and every single one of their names refer to their worship of God. Mm. And he changes their names so that now every single one of their names refer to the worship of Babylonian gods. I actually just went through and looked up all their ni- names as we, as we were talking, and all of them are like uh, refer to a god, but specifically as a servant or a command of or in some kind or a prince of uh, in some kind of underling way, which kind of reflects what, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's goal was that like, oh, we want to make these people servants of me because these people like they've come from the reason they ended up in Babylon is because they were seen to be better than everyone in Israel. But the reason that they were seen at all is because they had royal lineage. Um, they weren't servants. They were the served. But now it's like, oh, yeah, you're of royal lineage. All royal lineage now serves me. And so that was... Dude, this is hectic. I've never really studied into this, but all these names are just pregnant with meaning. Particularly, oh, that's really cool. I love the way that Daniel and his friends handled this situation, though. Uh, when it came to, mat- came to matters of principle, matters that actually mattered, they mm. stood firm and they would not budge, uh, even on the smallest issues. Mm. So, you know, after being on a starvation march from Jerusalem to Babylon, they are treated to, you know, the king's food prepared by the king's chefs and the king's wine prepared by the the the, the, the king's um, wineries, and they refused to eat it because it was alcoholic and unclean. And they risked uh, losing their lives. They risked losing pretty much everything because they, you know, they risked offending the king over what they ate, which you would think would be a very, very small issue. But they're like, no, we're going to remain faithful to God in absolutely everything. But when it came to their names, it's like it's just a name. Mm. You know, this is not a part of worship. Mm. It doesn't matter what you call me. Just call me anything you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> Put <laughs> them, you know. It's just we've uh, and and they were not precious about it. Mm. Um, they didn't care whether it referred to a pagan god or not. And so often, I think that we attach paganism to things that don't necessarily need paganism attached to it. Mm. And this is where Paul addresses this very specifically in you know the issue of meat offered to idols. And we see the same thing today, where people get you know bent out of shape over Christmas and Easter. Mm. And they're like, oh, but these have a pagan origin. Well, does that mean that Satan is bound to things? Does that mean that Satan is so uh, immature that he is stuck to certain things and that his influence can't leave that thing? No, mm. those things uh, apply. You know, have Satan's influence applied to them when we allow Satan to influence them. So if you take Christmas, for instance, Christmas is a day off, you know, once a year to spend with family and remembering the birth of Christ. And people are like, yeah, but it has a pagan origin. Okay, it's only going to have a a pagan aspect if you practice the paganism. Mm. And this is the whole issue of meat offered to idols. This is the whole issue of them changing their names in in Babylon. It was was a non-issue. It seems as though these people aren't, yeah, they're not uh, people of immature offence, but right. rather principle, which Absolutely. is more important than anything. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely awesome. right there. 
You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. But now it is time for... Question of the Day. Alright, so we've got a question here. It's a bit of a long one and it goes like this. I am emotionally attached to a lot of hymns that mention crossing oceans or the Jordan as a symbol of death. For example, Jesus, uh, Savior Pilot Me, and On Jordan's Stormy Banks. Recently, I have been learning about Roman mythology and history and learned about their belief that when someone, uh, that when someone died, Mercury would take them to the river Styx where they would have to pay the ferryman to take them over the river to the afterlife. Is the water concept in these hymns found anywhere in scripture, or is this idea straight from paganism? I know the heavenly Canaan concept, though I'm not sure about crossing the Jordan being a fitting representation of death. Okay, so this is one of those examples where, you know, it really does come down to what's in your mind when you actually sing the hymn Mm. and... Um, what is in your mind might be entirely different from what was in the mind of the composer when you sing the hymn. You know, God is obviously God, and so he can honour uh, the what you're thinking rather than what the original writer of the hymn wrote. And so I think it's very relevant in this whole discussion that we have been talking about things that were attached to idols, such mm. as food offered to idols, or names attached to idols, and how that... You know, these things are meaningless if we do not recognize the idolatry within them. And so, yes, uh, in Roman times, when a person died, you'd place a coin in the person's mouth so that that person would be able to pay the ferryman to take them over the river sticks into the afterlife. Mm. And you find very similar, you know, iconography uh, within a lot of Christian hymns. Now, the question is, is this found anywhere in the Bible? No, but metaphorically you can make an argument to say yes. Mm. And let me explain how that works. So uh, the Bible says that when the Israelites went into the Promised Land, they were baptised in the Red Sea. Okay, so they had to cross the sea. Um, the Jordan, the crossing of the Jordan River was a repeat of that event on a smaller scale, but it was a repeat of that event, a repeat of that, that baptism experience. And so what you've got in baptism is a symbol of death, burial, and resurrection. And so they went through a death, burial, and resurrection as they crossed the sea, the Red Sea. They went through a death, burial, and resurrection as they crossed the Jordan, which then took them into the Promised Land. And so you can see these then as metaphors, as type and anti-type, if you like, um, and you can draw those analogies through to the Christian experience of death, burial, and resurrection, and, of course, resurrection taking us into the promised land, which is heaven, which is Canaan. And so you're going to have kind of three different ways of looking at these particular hymns, you know, on Jordan, Stormy Banks, Jesus, Saviour, Pilot Me. You know, Jesus, Saviour, Pilot Me would be uh, more um, more closely related to the crossing of the Red Sea on Jordan, Stormy Banks, obviously the crossing of the Jordan River. Uh, to a pagan, that would be crossing the River Styx to the afterlife. Mm. Um, to uh, many Christians, that would be, you know, crossing through the death experience where you go straight to heaven. Uh, for somebody who believes the biblical view on death, that would be somebody uh, crossing through death 
to the resurrection. The resurrection, of course, when Jesus returns. And so probably most of these hymns were written on the first of these concepts, you know, uh, just crossing through death straight into heaven. Um, but they can equally comfortably be sung as crossing through death to the resurrection. And so, no, I wouldn't be throwing out all of those great old hymns right now. Uh, these are metaphors that are there. Yes, you can certainly draw some uh, pagan analogies there, but there are strong biblical analogies, allusions, and object lessons that can be uh, used to um, to point out what these hymns are all about. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.